podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 154 of the Unholy Trinity podcast, brought to you in association with Sports Social, the UK's only dedicated sports podcast network. And also, Fanatics, it's been a tough week for Everton Football Club, been a tough week for us as fans after uh, two disastrous trips to the uh, to the South Coast, where we, we've been knocked out of the Carabao Cup, of course, and we've um, we lost 3 0 to Bournemouth in the, in the league as well. Um, we're all on the show today. Myself, Liam, peace and delighted to say we've been joined by uh, by Frank McKenna, who, who's on once again to to run through what was a a difficult end to this this first almost half of the season. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts, Frank, on on the game yesterday? Obviously, there was a lot of thought which we're going to discuss shortly. Um, as we look at the performance on the whole, what what do you take from the game? Any positives at all that we can that we can possibly take? I think it's difficult when you have you know three nil defeat at a place like Bournemouth to look at positives. I think you could say we were unfortunate with the second goal. I think any other club gets a, the game stopped at that point. Uh, player goes down with a head injury in the six yard box. You know for the for the match to continue, I thought it was just bizarre to be, to be fair. But that can't gloss over what was let's face it a pretty dismal. Um, even you know, individual by individual basis, I think it was difficult to pick out anybody better than a six out of ten. Uh, the kid who came on towards the end didn't do himself any harm. Yeah, you know, put a bit of effort in, looked lively. But I think at the moment, you know, where the club is, where Everton is, uh, is that it's it's sort of two steps forward and three steps back. And to be honest. I think I expected that before the season started. I think that the fact of the matter is that, you know, Lampard inherited an absolute bag of shite. And it's not going to be a six-month turnaround to see Everton playing great football, great, putting in great performances, winning game after game after game. Um, but nonetheless, two defeats in... The space of a few days down on the south coast there against what I think is a let's face it, a pretty poor Bournemouth team does inevitably leave some question marks over whether enough progress is being made. Um so you know in answer to your question, Mike, I, I don't personally take any positives out of yesterday. Um I think it was a really, really poor performance. It sends us into a six week period now where we're all feeling the bit sorry for ourselves and you've just got to hope that you know this tour that they're doing of Australia enables Frank Lampard and his staff to basically reset uh, the squad uh, because there's only four of the squad that are going to the World Cup final reset the squad get them focused again and desperately I think we're in need of, of at least two if not three new signs striker Obviously, we've been crying out from that. I think we all recognised we needed that from the start of the season, really. We're using sticking plasters at the moment, aren't we, with Mope and occasionally Rondo. A wide player. Um, I th- again, I, I think we lack quality uh, and consistency in terms of our wide players. Gordon's gone backwards this season, unfortunately. Whether that's second season syndrome, whether it's to do with him having his head turned in the summer, not quite sure, but he's not been at the races. And you just the 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 disappointing sign and the Franks made for me would be uh, McNeil. I don't think he showed enough um, quality uh, in these first fourteen games. And again, you can tell the manager's not convinced because he keeps bringing him in, dropping and bringing. So you know, a lot of work still to be done. Um, I'm a, an absolute fan of uh, of what Lampard's done in terms of bringing the club's fan base and the team back together again given how fractured we were when he took over 
and I'm still, you know, of the belief that we've got to get behind him. But I think we all know in the modern game, defeat against Wolves at Goodison Park, I wouldn't be putting money on him staying beyond Christmas. Yeah, it's it's a strange it's a strange situation we find ourselves in going into obviously a, a break, which is unusual in itself. Um, this hasn't hasn't been done before, and we, we we all said when we spoke last week, you know, it was important that we could try and end this you know this this first part of the season on a positive. It'd be it'd be really important just to give us a little bit of a lift in the break, and then look forward to coming back and give us something to build on. But obviously, that wasn't the case this week. It's been a a really really poor week. Um, but if we, I mean, if we if we isolate yesterday, if if we can, and look back at you know what what actually actually went wrong, you know we, we look at the the goals that were scored, you know those those first two goals, especially Jordan Pickford, who's been great, you said it time and again, makes a a really poor mistake. Why he's looking to to pile the ball down and collect it, I don't know. I probably could have caught it to be honest with you without any kind of issue and. That, that's a frustrating thing because I think a lot of keepers nowadays like to do this where they, I know Pippa does it all the time. He did it before then where instead of gathering the ball in, he puts his palms down and just cushions the ball, rolls in front of him and then he gets hold of it. He does it all the time. A lot of keepers do it. Try to do similar with a, obviously a higher shot, palm it into, into the path of, of the on-rushing um, Bournemouth player. And we find ourselves one nil down because of, because of a mistake and, it was un-Jordan Pickford-like this season, is what, I, what I'd say in over the last 18 months. But a mistake, all the same. And then and then we see the second goal. And I've, I'm going to jump to this because I think it's really important that, that we, we, we discuss this. The second goal, and people can argue whatever and say whatever they want there. Pickford should have done better with the, with the save and, and what have you. Let's just get it right. The, the rules are very, very clear on this. And I've read them myself again numerous times today. Um, it clearly states if a player goes down with a head injury, regardless of where the ball is, the referee should stop playing immediately to, to ensure treatment is given to that player. Now, you tell me, Pete, if you can, in less than 100 words. Why <laughs> well, unfortunately, I can't. And it's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's another case of, of, the, of the evidence for us, isn't it? That, you know, like Frank said earlier, a, a decision that would probably go for pretty much any other club in the Premier League, you know, especially if you, you know, Manchester City, Liverpool, United, Chelsea, et al, um, goes against Everton in a really important game at a crucial time. And um, I, I think at the time, at the time the second goal went in, you popped in our group, didn't you? Like, you know, that that's basically the game now. You know, it was going to be too much for us to, to try and claw back at that point. And you could almost see and feel the defeat sort of seep through the players and I, I think then it was just a case of like how bad is today going to be, really? Um, but at, at the same time, I, I thought we were weak yeah. for the second goal. Yeah, look, it, it shouldn't have stood. The, the, the referee should have blown the whistle, should have followed the rules, should have protected the players. And there's been many times where, you know, we, we've been on the attack and, you know, he's, he's pulled it back for a suspected head injury in, in various games across the season. But we didn't play the whistle, and you know, for me, it, it's such a basic thing. You know, you you can't rely on getting that decision. You have to be stronger. You know, Bournemouth didn't stop. They, they continued to play and scored a scrappy second goal. And I just felt there was a there was a lack of application that just personified us for the whole game. And yes, it was a decision that went against us, but it was also one that we kind of limply, you know, accepted and. It just wasn't good enough for me. See, I, I, I disagree a little bit in terms of us, us accepting it because it went on for a long, long time because our players surrounded the referee and put him under a lot of pressure. Frank Lampard was on the sideline in the fourth official's ear and also had a way with the referee. Obviously, Mikhailenko was receiving treatment because he got headbutted as, as an aftermath of trying to, to defend the actual header itself. So we went off with, with concussion. Um, Seamus Coleman was having a way with the referee. Tarkowski, when he got up, was having a way with the referee. And then obviously we see we see Bournemouth later on in the first half, I think, wasn't it? One of their players went down with a head injury. <laughs> yeah. He stopped play instantly. Now he stops play as Everton are looking to go on the counter. So it's 
it, it absolutely it frustrates the life out of me. I mean, I mean Craig Porson's a poor referee. He's never ever for me officiated particularly well any Everton game that I've seen. I think he I think he's awful. Um, but when you when you see that leave, I, I know on Pete's spot on. I think the performance on uh, on the whole was poor. We we lacked ideas. You know, we didn't threaten their goalkeeper really in any way, shape, or form. A couple of shots, one from Awobi and a header from Tom Cannon later on, which were right at him. We were on target, but we were right at him. No real issue. It was disappointing the fact that Everton didn't react to going obviously one nil down. But the frustration with officials always seems to remain in a lot of our games, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's a really it's a really tricky situation, really, because if if we'd have lost the game one nil, and that was the winning goal, you've got every right to you know to turn around and say like you know what the hell's going on? We've ended up losing to an absolute farce of a winner. But in reality, and and we're and we're all Everton fans, and we can be sometimes biased, sometimes not, or whatever. But we can all say that you know Bournemouth deserved to win the game, didn't they? First and foremost. You know, both goals, like Pete was saying there, scrappy. You know, Jordan, you know, he saves that 99 times out of 100. We don't go 1-0 down. I said to you, Mike, you know, the worry is for me, we've all played footy, you know, whatever, different levels, things like that. But we've all played football. And, and, and if you're in a team that's not scoring goals, which Everton are at the minute, we're not really carrying much of a goal threat. Other teams know that if they get the first goal, mm. and even if they get a second goal, and our own players know this as well because they'll know it. It'll, you know, it'll be a subconscious thing. That we go, oh god, are we going to score two now? We're averaging less than a goal a game. Here. Are we going to score two? And then they get a second. You think now we've got to score three. So that seeps into the side, and and and, and whether you like it or not, that's just a product of where we are right now. We've been saying all along throughout the games since the start of the season, we've looked more solid in matches apart from the most recent ones, but we've not carried enough of a goal threat. And teams will exploit that. And they did yesterday. You know, the both goals, like the goals in the Cup against Bournemouth in the week, both the first two goals in the Cup were absolutely shocking as well. The first one was like Paul Parker in Italia 90 against Germany. You know what I mean? I mean, he flew in you know, over the keeper's head, kisses the bar on the way in. You're just sitting there going, how the hell's that gone in? The second one, he swings his leg at it, tries to shoot, and it just ends up at Stanislas, his feet, and he taps it in to get his customary goal against us. And then, you know, you're 2-0 down in that as well. So, you, the problem we've got, and we, we've said it all along, is, is you know, and Frank, I'm sure, will address this. He was asked by Alan Myers in the press conference before the game, are you looking at centre-forwards or strikers and, in, in, you know, forwards players in, 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 in the January window? And he, he basically came out and said, yeah, we are. You know, as a, you know, both him and Kevin are looking at it. And, you know, that's an as- absolute desperation. We need that because, you know, you can't go around just trying to keep clean sheets and nicking the odd odd goal here and there to win football matches not at this level you just can't do it you know because things will go against you like like that decision where you know I said to you mate you know Tarkovsky was basically pretty much almost knocked out in his own six yard box and the referee you know what what he's even thinking I mean I don't know what the rules are with VAR as well because once it's gone in I don't know whether VAR can turn around and go yeah to be honest mate you've made a clear and obvious error there you've made an absolute cocker right let's take it back to that you know what I mean I, I don't know with the VAR, we don't even know. I think that's the first time that type of situation has happened. So they, they did look at it. Apparently, they did look at it because if you listen to the to the commentary at the time, they, they were saying, you know, the the goal has been checked, it's been given. Now, you know, you you, you think to yourself that you've got one of your centre halves down in the six yard box. If if he's up and alert and he's not 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 down with a head injury, potentially when that header comes back in, he clears it. Because of where he was, he probably clears the ball. Now, yeah, I agree with that. You, you, we're surmising and we're assuming. But if you're going to do it to the letter of the law, then surely they can see, well, the referee should have blown his whistle there. So that goal, the ball should not have been in play. Play should have stopped. The goal shouldn't stand. I think I think it's it's black and white. I, I think VAR, if he's got that wrong, which he, which he quite clearly has, VAR can fall back on that particular rule, which is in the Premier League rule book, that the game should have been stopped. The goal shouldn't stand because the ball shouldn't have been in play. Referee, this is it. Look on the screen and the monster all you want. But it's you haven't even got to do that. It's pretty obvious. And he knows he's got that wrong. He knows he's got it wrong, you know. And that's that's the frustrating thing, isn't it? The thing is the thing is like like anything in sport, and particularly in football, 
you know, when the chips are down and things are going get, go against you, you know, in general, this this comes in bunches, doesn't it? And it goes against you. You know, I mean, it, it just happens. It's I don't know whether it's you know a psychological thing or whatever, but these sort of things go against you all the time. And like I said, the goals, the first two goals in in, in the cup, you know, we're going down there. We've made a load of changes. These some of these guys want to impress. They want to try and get in the, in the first team in the league matches. And then you two 0 down in the blink of an eye again after we started the game pretty well. You know, we started the game well at the weekend and we were on the front foot. We would, you know, we I wouldn't say we were we, we were creating loads of chances, but we were certainly the better side. They dropped off, clearly trying to play counter. And and you know, the biggest worry, we all know this, right? The biggest worry going into the match was we had Mope up front. And I've said this, he's been getting a lot of stick and things like that. You know, some people are saying, like, why the hell has Lampard signed him? I agree with you on McNeil, Frank. That one for me is a bit of a strange one. Obviously, only time will tell because he's still a young lad. But, you know, again, it just feels strange. He's never been prolific. Um, but, you know, the Mope one, clearly, as clear as day, must have been about, you know, fourth, fifth on Frank's list. Because we were holding out for Brozier, or Brozier. We all know that. That was the number one choice. Chelsea didn't let him go. And then we were working our way down the list. They didn't want to pay 20 million for Diaz in the last year of his contract at Blackburn. And then they were probably working their way down for choices three, four and five. I think they plumped with Mope in the end because he was keen to come. He's had a bit of Premier League experience and his record, what was it, maybe one in three, one in four or something like that. And I think, I think that, you know, ultimately, if you were to ask Frank himself, I don't think Mope it was definitely anywhere near the top three, four on the list. You know, he'd never say that, obviously, publicly, but, you know, I think we can all pretty much say that. And, you know, he doesn't really, he can't really hold the ball up. He can't really link the play. He doesn't really run the channels. You know, he, he's really struggled, hasn't he, since he's come in. I think, he scored one league goal, I think, in the last 20 games, and that was the winner against West Ham. So it was an effective goal, but that's all he's done. And, and I, like Frank just said before, young, young Cannon comes on and the space of 15 minutes shows you how to play centre-forward position on your own. And he's a kid. You know, at least he tried to hold the ball up. As I said, he, he peeled off the defender, got a header on target. You know, he showed more in 15 minutes than probably Mope showed in the last three or four games, hasn't he? I think that's the issue, though, isn't it, in terms of, when you can't score goals, you've got to defend really, you know, at the top of your game. And defending starts from the front. And, you know, we've done that well in certain games this season, but we didn't yesterday. We didn't on Tuesday night either. I thought we were a bit fortunate. Well, we were very fortunate at Fulham, I thought. Um, so if you take what's happening with the, that sort of midfield and with your front, with your striker it is for me they're not holding the play up they're not getting after the opposition as much as they ought to be they're not pressing as hard as they should be and this comes down to the basic thing of effort that's what frustrates us as fans isn't it and you know if you're if, I don't think you can argue that that back four is much more solid foundation from which we can build this season you know, I think Patterson looks a fine Cody and Tarkovsky, obviously solid. Uh, Mikolenko, I think, defensively is very good. Again, I think we've got a bit of a problem with him not contributing enough offensively, as, as I think Lampard would like in terms of his ideal way of playing. But then you've got to start to look at your midfield, as I say, your striker, to be that first line of defence. And that doesn't happen. That hasn't happened in a number of games recently. Uh, and that's a big disappointment for me because, um, as I say, I think if you're going into a game where you think we've got to keep it tight, you can't just rely on your back four and your goalkeeper to do that. You've got to defend. I've been doing that particularly well for a few games now. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree on that. I think, certainly, so, so, yeah, Mikalenko, obviously, we got him in. He's a young lad himself. You know, we, we've talked about him quite a few times. I described him to you, Mike, the other day, and he's like a left-footed Wan-Bazaka. Um, and I, I'd probably say that's probably a fair comparison. The fact that when mm. United signed him, he was great on 1v1s, very rarely got skinned, mm. um, but just didn't offer anything going the other way. Mm. I think, you know, you know, subsequent Man United managers have now figured, figured it exactly the same. And I'd probably say the same with him. He's an honest pro, but, you know, he, he doesn't offer nowhere near the same quality as, as some of his predecessors we've had in that position in the final third. Um, definitely that. And the midfield is an interesting one because, you know, we've certainly, I think, improved the midfield. Um, regardless of what you say, some people say about Adrissa Gay, I still think he's a very good footballer. Um, I still think he's, he's obviously gone away and play, played at a higher level, played a very, in a very different team where they probably had 70% of the ball every week. 
Um, but I think, you know, the problem is with that midfield, and Onana showed bits as well, it, it's, it just, there's no real goals in it. And there's no yeah. real out-and-out creativity, is there? I mean, Iwobi showed, again, flashes of brilliance with that assist against Palace and a few others as well. He laid on a couple for Calvert-Lewin, hasn't he? And, and he hasn't taken them. But, you know, when you, when you consider some of the midfields he's had in the past, you know, where there's creativity, there's goals. You think, you know, the, the, the Cahills, Artetas, even Fellaini's. You know, there's, there's goals there and there's, 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 there's creativity in the right places. And we just we just don't really, like, you know, have any sort of goal threat slash creativity whatsoever. And, you know, the, the, the wingers, you know, again, in the modern game, wide, you know, wide forward wingers, whatever you want to call them, you want them scoring, you know, ideally nine, ten goals a season. You know, I mean, I look at someone like Rodrigo at Leeds, for example. I know he's played through the middle a few times this season, but he has been playing out. He, you know, he scored his ninth goal. Yeah, you know I mean, the other day in the league, that's his last his league in league in the league. That is nine goals in the league in fourteen games. You know, that's that time we haven't got anything like that. I don't think any yeah. of our, if we're being honest, any of our wide forwards will get anywhere near nine goals, will they? In in, in terms of in in the league, so you know, Frank needs to address that. I think he knows that. We're probably going to limp over the line into January, and we'll hopefully try and sign a couple of wingers or a couple of forwards. Um, you know, early January. You know, hopefully, and you know, have the deals lined up, ready to go. I think that, as I said earlier, though, the disappointment for me is probably. Uh, and then I'm sure it'd be interesting to get your your views, lads, on Anthony Gordon, because I think he's been a big letdown for for me at least this season. I thought he go to the next level, as I say, I think he's gone backwards. Um, but what did we pay for McNeil? It was a fair chunk, wasn't it? 40, 40 million. 40, it, wasn't. it wasn't, wasn't massive then. But I think, you know, again, what we've said in, in past transfer windows is, you know, we've got limited resources. We know that now. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it just makes that recruitment so much more challenging, but equally so much more important that you get it right. And, you know, that kid just doesn't look the finished article for me. And Burnley supporters were saying that to me. They were saying, you, you've got a, an absolute steal in Tarkovsky. He's going to be brilliant for you. But we can't understand why you've gone for, for McNeil. I don't think he scored last season for Burnley. Um, so, yeah, I think that wide area. Uh, the other thing that will be interesting to see in the second part of the season is whether Lampard actually does revert back to his preferred way of playing, which is a back five. And he tries to actually get more out of... Maybe he goes out and, and signs a left wing back rather than a winger. Um, because, you know, for me, again, um, I take what Lee says, the lack of goals and the lack of creativity in that midfield. I'm not convinced it's the right... I think all of them individually uh, have got something to offer, but I'm not sure as a trio it works. Again, be interesting to get your thoughts on that. But those three, to me... Seems a bit of an odd fit, you know, that trying to put them three together in the same side. I think, I think, obviously, the best game we. Sorry, Frank, we lost, we lost today. I'm sorry, but I was just, I was just saying, the best game we played was obviously against um, Crystal Palace. That was our best performance of the season. Yeah. You know, everybody contributed. We looked at an attacking threat. We scored three fantastic goals. And in that game, it was when we had Garner Gay and Onana sitting, and we had a Wobie in front, and a Wobie was very, very close to Dominic Albert Loon in that game, and obviously our two wide players. Now, since then, we've shifted Onana further forward, and we've left at least a Garner Gay on his own as a mm-hmm. as a number six sitting in front of yeah. the platform. Now yeah. that's that for me is the issue. Mm-hmm. And who am I? I'm, I'm not here to to. To, to, to slate the manager. Obviously, he's seen something and he's done it for a reason. But I can't understand when you, you go from your best performance against Crystal Palace, who had players you could hurt us, and I thought defensively we were good as well. Mm. Um, it was our, great, our best performance, and we've then shifted what was working really well, and we haven't reverted back. I was convinced yesterday we were going to revert back to, to having Onana sitting deeper, and we didn't. He was playing further forward again. Producer Gallagher was on his own. And at times, I mean, go back to the first goal, as much as it was a mistake by Jordan Pickford, they absolutely slice us apart in midfield. Yes. Absolutely kills in midfield. Yes. And a lot of it is to do with the fact there's no protection there. 
because when you've got one player as, as, as good as Garner Gay is in that particular role, he can't do it all by himself. So that's, I mean, what, what do you think, Peter, about that? It, 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 it's a bit strange, isn't it, when, you've, when you see us do that so well and then when we do change it, it doesn't work, not to revert back to that. I completely agree, Mike. I, I think that's exactly it. Yeah, I, I feel like we peaked when we played Palace. You know, we spoke about it in detail on, on the podcast. Anana was just amazing. He was fantastic. Every, everything was crisp and quick. You know, he turned the ball over so quickly. I can remember saying, you know, even when we looked to go back, we went back quickly and came forward quickly. And we were just constantly on the foot, foot front. We put them under so much pressure. And, you know, we're good value for our three goals. And then, you know, we went to Fulham. Got You know, that was a good away point. Good point at Fulham. And then I think he got it wrong against Leicester. I can't work out why he changed it. And like you're saying, I, I can't work out why against Bournemouth, he didn't look just to shore it up again. Um, because it, I, I think we, we play better football. We seem to get out more quickly. Um, it, you know, we've got more protection. And that that was a must-not-lose. I mean, really, the last two games were must-not-lose. You know, you, you get a draw in each game there just by being tight. The table's looking very, very different. Mm. Um, yeah. And it was horrible to watch. You know, it was just like a repeat of the, of the cup game for me. You know, we, we got absolutely battered in the week. It was a horrendous performance. But it was like a carbon copy. It was like watching the same game, even though a different team was out playing with a different system. Every time they ran at us, they looked like scoring. And every time we got on the ball, we didn't look like we had a clue. We, we, we didn't look like, again, we looked like a group of individuals who were floundering. Whereas against Crystal Palace, we looked like a football team with an identity and strength and integrity. And it, it was good to watch. And, I, you know, only Lampard and the Everton team and his coaching staff know the ins and outs of why things have changed and how and whether we can get back to that. But I think that's, you know, that's the team we want to see. That's the team we want to see competing. And if we play like that for the, you know, the, the, like we did against Palace for the rest of the season, we'll be more than all right. Um, you know, really good things will come, but we can't allow what started to trickle back in, which is echoes of last season, to continue. You know, conceding terrible goals every time teams come on the attack, they, they look almost certain to score. And when we get on the ball, it's it's like we've just got no belief at all. And I think this, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to it, but this is where maybe the break comes at the right time for us because we've got to stop this rot and. You know, we, we've got to have a little bit of an inquest because yeah. there are some teams below us who have who have done it. You know, you look at Aston Villa, Leicester. You know, Forest seem to be on the rise again. Um, you know, we're going to get leapfrogged if we don't sort ourselves out. I think it's, I think I think uh, to try and answer the question in 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 some way, there. I think I think I, I think Frank's had almost a case of the Pep Guardiola's and sometimes overthinking. You know certain things in, in in going into matches like the way he set up against Palace. I think he's played with a double six there because of obviously who we're playing and the threats they carry. The you know particularly the likes of Zahar, Eze, people like that who can hurt you. I think he's gone right. We'll have two sitting here, and we'll obviously you know that will hopefully deal with their threat, and then we'll try and counter. Now obviously we played really well that day, and it, you know I think for me that's Onana's best position definitely, and it certainly was his best game in an Everton shirt. But then we you know when we played then Leicester. Instead of you know thinking, look, what's worked with Palace? Let's go with the same formation. We'll go with that. I've almost thought he's just gone. Look, I think we can have a bit more of a go at these. I'm going to stick Anana higher at the pitch, and we'll leave we'll leave Adrissa Gay you know sitting on his own deeper in a single six. I think by doing that, then you know basically emptied the midfield and the likes of Madison and Sealham and just ran the game after that. You know, particularly Madison, who was outstanding on the day. You know, and and obviously Leicester, you know, let, let, let's 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 get it right. I mean, they were in real trouble under Rodgers. They were losing to everyone every week. He was nearly sacked. And then the, in in the last eight games, they've only conceded two goals. They've kept six clean sheets, which is incredible. And one of those goals they conceded was losing one nil to City. You know what I mean? So they they've turned it around incredibly well. Leicester, you know, we played them arguably at probably the worst time because they were probably the most one of the most informed teams in the league. Certainly, Madison's one of the most informed players in the league and he deserves his call up for the world cup. But I think, you know, not to try and make excuses. I think that's why Frank was doing it. And it's the same against Bournemouth. I think again, he thinks, look, man for man, we're better than these. I'm going to have a non and not sitting in a double. I'm going to push him higher at the pitch again. And we're going to, we're trying to try and carry more of a threat. 
And if you watch the first 15 minutes of that game, we did zip it around with a bit more pace and a bit more purpose. But unlike the Palace game, we didn't get the first goal. You know, we scored fairly early against Palace, and I think that completely relaxes the players. They're then playing with a bit of freedom. The crowd are up because we're at home. And then, obviously, it's a totally different game. Same, you know, in some ways, the Leicester game, if Iwobi scores that chance, again, it probably is a totally different game, but he missed. You know, and I think in this game, we, you know, the Bournemouth game, we started well again. But then as soon as we went 2-0 down, like Pete was just saying there, everything was laborious then. You know, everything was at walking pace. We were allowing them to drop into their 4-4-2 and just pick us off on the counter-attack. Because I think deep down, like I said before, I think almost players are just like, how are we going to score three goals now? How are we going to score three? You know, we're not really, we're barely creating. And, and you know, not saying that they gave up. And, and that, that's one thing I won't say. I think, you know, there's times under, and certainly under Benitez and a few other managers where you can clearly see the players aren't playing for the manager. You know, I know I've seen a few shouts on Twitter where people are saying Frank's lost the player. I, I totally disagree with that. I think, yeah. you know, the, the players are definitely putting a shift in. I think, you know, you can, you, I don't think you can, you can criticise them for that. But I, I, I just think there's just that lack of quality and lack of belief that comes with obviously, you know, not scoring goals. And I think that's a great point the lads have made in terms of, well, all of you, you know, in terms of maybe just tweaking that formation with those three and that might be the best way forward. I think Frank said last season, didn't he, that he realised after probably six, seven games that Everton were good enough to play the way he wanted us to play. I just wonder whether he's got a little bit of a head of himself um, following that Palace game, which was so impressive in terms of saying, right, we're going to really have a go for it now. Arguably, you should be able to do that against Bournemouth. Uh, but again, I think it was you, Pete, who said, you know, that was a, it was a must-not-lose game. I'll put it that way. I, th- I think we'd have probably all been relatively comfortable taking a point away, given what had happened on Tuesday night. Um, but he's gone for that, yeah, that, that midfield three, as I say, which it certainly doesn't work playing it in the way he's played the last couple of games. It looks, for me, far too open. Uh, you know, Garner Gay's not getting any younger either, as he might. So, to expect him to cover that on his own, that's going to be a big ask. So, yeah, some... Uh, this, I, I'm I'm still glass half full, as far as the Lampard pro- project is concerned. And I think, you know, there are cer- certainly signs of improvement particularly, as I said earlier, with that back four looking far more solid. Um, but my concern comes from the fact that we know what Mashiri's like and we know what football clubs generally are like these days for the modern game. A defeat against Wolves, a good, you can imagine the crowd as well, can't you? I think the manager is under a bit of pressure, so hopefully he'll get it right for the Wolves game and, and, and we can start to turn it around. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that that Wolves game does now come with it an added pressure. Obviously, we've got a, a six week break. I think it's forty two days until we we next appear, which is a long, long time. Um, but you, you mentioned obviously fan unrest. There was certainly fan unrest at the Vitality Stadium uh, after after yesterday's game, uh, and we're going to discuss that and the importance of the six week break after after today's break. Welcome back to the second part of today's Unholy Trinity podcast. And like we were saying before, before the break, there was a lot of fan unrest at the at, well before the full time whistle actually um, yesterday, and then certainly after the full time whistle, there was a lot of uh, media coverage around that. There was a lot of footage that was taken from fans, but also that made it onto certain sports channels as well. And it's always disappointing to see. You know, we've been here before in terms of fan unrest and. Um, Fans letting players and managers know that they're not they're not happy, and you know, for me personally, you know, the, a lot of fans who were there yesterday who would have also been there on Tuesday, they've travelled a long, long, long way to, to go and watch Everton twice in a week, and and to watch Everton twice in a week not perform. It's as simple as that, and I, and I totally get the frustration. We all feel it. It's rawer when you're there. I think I think that's that we can all say that that when you go to the game and and you you witness such a poor performance. You know, we've all been to Anfield over the years, I'm sure, and seen absolute garbage saved up year in, year out. So you feel it. Of course you do. And, and that, that raw emotion comes out. Um, but there's there things that, that, that went on yesterday that, that didn't please me. I've got to be, I've got to be said, we know of, of a couple of things that happened ourselves, which we won't go into, into detail early on, on, on the show. But 
things that just cross a line. You know, it, for me, in terms of Alex Iwobi, is obviously the, the the player who was what I would say targeted. I don't care if someone said to me today on on social media, it could have been anybody. Doesn't matter when you start making personal insults, which is what what has happened. It's out of order, and the fact you made a personal insult to a player who's been our best player for the last six months just <laughs> just just says it all. And um, and what I would say, I said it on on Twitter yesterday. When you you know you, you you're picking or or you you're insulting a player who came out about three or four weeks ago and said how important it's been that the fans have been on his side, have been backing him, have basically allowed him to, to play his football. And if he made a mistake, he went on his back and, and he had the bravery to go again. The fact that you've gone for him out of everybody, after what he said, how, how important we are to him in a positive way, baffles me. And I will never, I'll never go down that road. I'll never agree with that kind of direction to single out any kind of player, however good or bad you think they are, it is wrong in my opinion. So listen, that doesn't work for me. I think everyone's got a right to say, listen, boo them, tell them the crap as a collective, say it's not good enough. I get it. You know, and, and anyone can, people can say that, but don't go for individual players. That's my personal opinion. Whether you do it at the game, whether you do it on social media, it, it's a no-no. And it's always disappointing that to see for me because let's let's remember a few weeks ago after the Palace game, you know, the manager alludes to, to the connection he's got with us. We always say about how, how much we feel connected to this side. You know, even in, in early season defeats and poor performances, you still feel that, you know, we are joining some way to these players and these players get it and all that. And then a couple of bad results and all of a sudden, all that work that's been done, that connection that we found with players and manager starts to get lost. That work that's been done with Alex Iwobi and the fan base, you know, who's turned his effort and career around, could be lost because of a couple of incidents yesterday. And that's that for me, Frank, is a really, really disappointing thing to see, isn't it? Despite our frustrations and, and we're right to be frustrated, yeah. you shouldn't cross a line when it comes to showing those frustrations. Couldn't agree more. Um... I think that you've used the phrase a couple of times quite rightly, Mike. There's a line that was crossed yesterday that was unacceptable. I think if you look at um, the run into last season, the fans, can, you know, we won the team points. No question in terms of the way in which we turned out, the way in which we got behind them. And you'd hope that a massive, turn, a, a massive corner had been turned there and the penny would drop with the fan base that actually, you know, if you stay together, then you know you've got a much better chance of of making some progress. Now, again, as you say, listen, it's a long way to go, and they've been served up pretty poor for spent a lot of money, a lot of time to go to the game. So I understand the frustration. I understand the booing at the end if they're going to do that. I've never, you know, I think I've said this on this podcast before. I've never booed the team. Just I just don't do it. But equally, if you've gone all that way twice in a week and you've watched that shite, then you can understand that frustration. But I think going after individuals and those scenes at the end, they just, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me uh, as an Evertonian watching sort of players almost being baited. Um, that's not the way Evertonians um, that I know uh, conduct themselves, whether it be, you know, in, in success or defeat and I think equally you know our fan base needs to remind itself where we are as a team at the moment I was expecting a relegation battle this season I hoped that we wouldn't have a relegation battle but I was expecting it because I didn't think one transfer window would be enough to transform what was a, a very very poor side who let's face it scraped scraped to safety last season and so I don't know whether it's because people's expectations have got ahead of themselves. So you are going to be more frustrated when defeats happen. Um, but we do have to have a reality check. And again, I think this is where perhaps the board needs to be a bit more vocal and coming out and saying to the fan base, you know, well, this is our plan. This is our strategy. So actually what we've said to the manager is, you know, keep us in the league this season. Obviously, if we do better, great. But we're going to give him 
three transfer windows, let's say. Um, but, you know, there doesn't seem to be any messaging coming through um, for, from, from the boardroom, one way or the other. And although Lampard can articulate and connect with the fans to an extent, there's only so much he can say. Now, as I say, I'd like to see somebody from within the board now come out and, and tell us what the strategy is, what the plan is. Is that, Have they said to Lampard, look, just keep us in the league until the new stadium fills? And then at least it dampens everybody's expectations. I know we wouldn't be happy necessarily with that message, but at the moment, I do feel as though the, the expectation of our fan base is beyond where we can reasonably expect it to be, given what Lampard inherited less than a year ago. I totally agree with that. I agree with both your points, actually. I think the fans have every right, you know, particularly you know, you're travelling away from when you're travelling all over the country and things like that. They have every right to, to, to boo the team, you know, if they feel they haven't, you know, they haven't put a performance in. And Frank was open and honest as he normally is in his in his post match and pretty much said the same thing. You know, there, there were lines crossed. You know, there was, you know, Awobi had some of his family in the front there, and apparently there was altercations with his father and things like that. So we're led to believe, you know. That, that's crossing the line. You can see why Alex was emotional there with that as well. You know, I mean, he had every right to react and we'd, we'd all do the same if we were in his shoes as well. And that that's massively out of order for me. You know, whether, you, whether you, you know, you, you're know you angry against the team or not, you know, the, the, you, you just don't do that sort of thing. And um, I, I totally agree with what you said there, Frank, as well. Unity with a fan base, a solid fan base, a big fan base that we've got that follow the team, you know, home and away, everywhere we go. And, you know, is a massively powerful thing. You know, you have to look at Newcastle. You know, they're on, they're massively on the unity train at the minute because they've, they, you know, they've followed Mike Ashley, you know, who's possibly one of the worst football owners there's ever been. You know, the, you know he presided over a time there where, the, you know, the fans were absolutely, you know, despised him beyond belief and rightly so because he didn't invest in the club and he stripped it. Um, and, you know, now... You know, anything now other than him was always going to be a big thumbs up. But now, obviously, they're, they're all moving. and They're riding the wave, aren't they? They're riding the wave. You know, the fans backing the team, the team pulling in the right direction, the manager obviously doing a great job. And look at the result. You know, they're flying. But on paper, you wouldn't say that, you know, OK, I know they spent 200 million in the last window. But, you know, you wouldn't say that, you know, that, that they look a great team. But it just shows you the power of unity and a big fan base. And we saw that ourselves. You know, we elevated our levels of performance at the end of last season purely based on the fans and the players being on the same hymn sheet. And, uh, you know, and that can, uh, it just, it just seems with our club right now, very fragile, like very, it's always teetering on the edge, you know, from, from being ecstatic with the way we played against Palace to suddenly two games later being the end of the world. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's really on a precipice. And I said to you boys the other day, you know, I think, you know, from, from Frank's perspective, I think he's done a fantastic job in terms of, you know, winning or uniting the fans. You know, I've I, I said this, part of a job as a manager, when you come in, one of the biggest parts of your job is, 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 you know, winning the respect of the fan base, isn't it? Now, you either do that through your personality or you do it through the performances on the pitch, and ideally both in an ideal world. But I think Frank has worked, worked extremely hard to exert his personality across. And I genuinely believe a lot of the things he says he means. You know, if you read any of his programme notes, I think, again, like you just said there, Frank, very articulate, says the right things. You know, we can all read them and listen to him when we're nodding our heads going, yep, he's bang on there. So the, the power of unity is, is absolutely, you know, massive. And, you know, Frank, as I said, has worked really hard to endear himself to us. I think most of us, are, you know, I'd like to think most of us are still behind him. Because the last thing we need right now is to sack him Sack his team, you know, Ashley Cole, Paul Clement, you know, all, all, the, all the other fellas, pay them off, you know, whatever, 15, 20 million quid. And there you go. Our budget for January has gone. So you can, you can sod the striker, you can sod the winger, and we'll have to get two, two, two probably crap players on the lo two loan spots we've got available. So we've just had to pay off a load, of, you know, a, load of, a load of guys in the back room. And for me, we can't be doing that. Yeah. And we have to accept, like you said there, Frank, you know, that we are going to be there or thereabouts. It's as simple and straightforward as that. If we finish, you know, between 17th and 10th, then for me, then, you know, that, that's the expectation that needs, need, needs, needs to be the case. And that's not trying to be, you know, you know pessimistic. It's trying to be realistic. That's, that's where we, you know, he used the Richarlison money, our best player, sold him, 
and invested in two 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 solid defenders. Invested in midfield on the whole, I think of good signings, a couple of good young players in there as well. But with all that money, you can't go out and buy a new team, can he? You know, you can't buy sign no. another two forwards on top of that. He chose to make us more solid initially, with a view to adding hopefully goals after that. And you know, we've been unlucky with Calvert Lewin as well. But I think you know, overall, he's inv- he decided to invest in that part of the pitch with the money we got from Richarlison. And I think if you ask most fans, most would agree with that. And a bit of leadership as well, Lee, wasn't it? You know, exactly. the, the players he's brought in, he's brought characters into the club as well, which I think was much needed. So as I said earlier, I think, you know, for me, there's definite signs of improvement. My concern isn't the manager. As I say, it's whether or not the, the patience and the time is, is afforded to him and his backroom team um, to, to, you know, hopefully successfully finish what they've started. Um, but, but, Again, be interesting to get your thoughts. I can't remember what our predictions or your predictions at the start of the season was, but I, I did say to a few people, if we finish 14th this season, I think Lampard should get manager of the season. You know, that's where I was, that's where my head was. I was sort of, this is going to be a real struggle of a season. And if we can get to sort of mid table mediocrity by sort of March and we're not scrapping around. Hopefully, not going into that last game of the season against Bournemouth needing anything. I'd be quite happy with that. I think I've, I've stuck by my, my sort of 12 to 14 prediction all the way through, and I still believe that's the, that's the case now. I think we'll yeah. find a bit of good form at some point. I think we'll we'll be inconsistent still. Let's be honest, we've probably been more inconsistent than the manager wants. And maybe we expected we've been inconsistent, but there were some games really when you know you think to yourself. We should have done more, you know. Bournemouth is probably a prime example, but you know, look at the games where maybe we could have won. Leeds away, Brentford away, both of those games that we that we led in, Forest at home. You know, we if you pick up sort of five more points there, we're not having this conversation. We're just yeah. not having, having a conversation at all about that. But I think it's um, well, six more. Sorry, mate, six more points now. We're sitting in ninth. Yeah, exactly. So, two wins. So that that's how tight it is in the league at the minute. You know, Villa have brought Emery in. Good appointment. They win two games, they go from 12 points to 18 points and suddenly the mid-table. You know, that's how quickly it can change. Now, look, look, again, you don't want to make too many excuses. You still have to win those two games. But the point we're saying is that's how tight it is and that's how a mindset can just change so quickly on the back of, you know, yeah. one or two results. Yeah. Well, my, my mindset were changing after the Palace game, weren't they? Because we thought, yeah, we cracked it. We've cracked it here. Yeah. And we thought, we'll go to Fulham. We'll score a couple down there as well. So mindset's moving. I said it last week on the show and I'll say it again. The manager has said he doesn't get carried away with wins. He doesn't get carried away with defeats either. And as a fan base, as frustrating as it might be, and this is a, has been a frustrating week for us, we need to be exactly the same in terms of our mindset. Do not get carried away after a couple of poor performances because we've seen exactly what this side can do when they turn it on. We've got, still got players coming back in. Great to see Ben Godfrey back for the under-21s today, uh, getting his first hour since, obviously, that that bad that bad leg break. Yeah, you mean got, obviously, time in midweek. Um, obviously, Dom has now got six weeks to, to get himself right after suffering things from, from three injuries. And let's face it, playing through the pain after dislocating his shoulder at Newcastle, you know, he, he still wants to play. And, and that, that's that, that, that's great to see. But we need him to get back firing and get him, get him back fit. He's got time off now to, to do that. So th- this six weeks, I think, is, is is a reset both for players, obviously travelling to Australia, of course, for, for a couple of games over there. Manager, fans, we've got six weeks now. You can relax. You can watch the World Cup if you want to watch the World Cup. Keep uh, a check of the progress of our players at the World Cup. And you know, let, let's just let's just get, get back to Goodison Park in six weeks in a better frame of mind. I think, and I think we will. And it's important, piece, isn't it, that we do do that, and we and we don't now spend six weeks dwelling on the fact that we've had a poor week against, obviously, not a great Bournemouth side. We've got to we've got to use this time now wisely and and look to to enter Goodison Park on Boxing Day in a much better frame of mind. Yeah, it's 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 a big opportunity to regroup, isn't it? And and. You know, you can't speak on behalf of everybody, but it seems like the consensus amongst Evertonians is that the breaks come at the right time for us and there's work to do. Um, I think it does put massive pressure on 
the Wolves game, you know, particularly with them bringing in a new manager who's also going to get time now to work with the squad and implement his ideas, and that you know they'll be coming to Goodison, um, you know, full of fight, full of belief. So hopefully we can match them. Um, I mean, going going back to what you were saying about about the fan reaction, I completely agree with you. It, you know, a line was crossed, and um, I, I don't agree with or, or defend at all the, the actions of some some sections of the away supporters because I think it's the definition of. You know, as well as being unacceptable, it's the definition of shooting yourself in both feet. You know, because these are, you know, Alex Iwobi in particular has probably been, you know, our most improved player of the, the last three years. You know, never mind the last season. Um, and you know, what is it? Five assists he's got for us so far. Um, so you know, to damage our relationship with him is just the definition of of stupidity. Um, and if you were going to single out any player. You know, he wouldn't have been top of the list. Um, but I, I wonder if what's happened is we were that poor against Bournemouth. I think it's probably taken people back to the echoes of last season. Um, you know, and it, it was the biggest shock I think we've had for a long time. Um, so I can understand that fans are going to be desperate not to be in that kind of position again. And the performance was unacceptable, but, you know, it's not the right way to respond to it. Um yeah, and you know it's only going to damage the club and damage the team. So fans have a responsibility as well. Totally agree, Pete. And I think it is it is anxiety driven because none of us want to be in that same situation we were at the end of last season. None of us do. You know, what I mean, it was it was horrendous. You know, what I mean that Palace game. I mean, I think you know most of us, you know, probably had you know a heart attack about three or four times in that in in that in that match you know what i mean so so yeah none of us want to go back there and and it is anxiety driven definitely but at the same time you know getting behind the player i'm not saying you know the players have also got to deliver on on a level as well but you know we've seen the power of unity like i've said before we've seen what that can do and i'm not saying you have to applaud them off after losing 3-0 to bournemouth but you know, you don't want, on the flip side of that coin. You don't want to be then, you know, absolutely murdering them before you know before the international break. And then, you know, we have said it before. We wanted to go into it with a bit of confidence. But this break, in a weird way, the first time ever, like you said, Mike, in the middle of the season, could actually help us. You know, allow us to get Dom back fit, patch him up. Hopefully, get him a run of games before you know he doesn't pick up any other injuries. And hopefully, then you know, obviously the Wolves game is huge. We all know that Wolves at home be a massive game City after that we all know you know not that you write it off but it'll be a very difficult game to win but then all of a sudden like I said then you're into January then and then you know hopefully we can add to you know two or three new faces and then suddenly it's a different look altogether again but yeah I, I was like like all of us have said here now you know I, I was really upset to see those scenes just then and like, I like Jeff Stelling I think he's been a brilliant stalwart for Sky but you know he, you know, they can't wait to dramatise that, can they? You know, he, he was talking it up like he was a film premiere or something, wasn't it? You know what I mean? Like, he was absolutely loving it. You know, look at the scenes. Look at the scene. Look at the fans. You know, it's, it's like, you know, cheers, Jeff. You know what I mean? Calm down, mate. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, he just couldn't wait to dramatise it because football, sadly, is all about TV these days. And, you know, that doesn't help because that eggs people on as well. So, yeah, it's, it's just sad to see, and, and hopefully, hopefully, we, we won't see those scenes again. Yeah, you, you'd hope you'd hope that that is that is the end of the matter, and I suppose in a way, with this break which is now upon us, that has come at a good time to to, to let allow people to, to calm themselves down. Hopefully, it doesn't impact the players, especially Alex Iwobi. I know Demai Gray was over there. Jordan Pickford, by all accounts, was, was saying to the fans to blame him. You know, it was my fault. I made a mistake. It's you know, it's down to me. And he's got he's got big shoulders. We know that he's a, he's a very good goalkeeper. He's become a leader. He's become a much more settled mentally as well. After obviously he uh, sought help from a sports psychologist, which was widely publicised last week as well. So, you know, a lot of players involved. The manager was there, obviously apologising as well. So, it's hopefully that this break gives everyone time just to take a step back, enjoy. The World Cup, enjoy Christmas with your family. You haven't got to be concerned with how they're going to do on the Saturday. Um, and then we, and then we, you know, we, we, we get back to Goodison Park in, in a better frame of mind, jovial after obviously a, a nice bit, bit of time off. But we're going to go, and I'm sure the players will be. I, I hope, as we say, we hope it hasn't impacted 
our players drastically. Hope we can all take a step back and, and understand that we all want the same thing. And anyone who's crossed the line yet yesterday was bang out of order. Whatever way that they've crossed the line should be dealt with. It's clearly something which has upset Alex Obobi because he pointed the person out after the game to a steward. So, listen, what happened was wrong, but fans are still allowed, as I say, as a as a collective, to say to, to players, manager, listen, not good enough. And it wasn't. The manager knows it. He said he said then after the game midweek, you can't bullshit Everton fans to, and sign dress things up to say, you know, it's something that it's not. It was poor performance Tuesday. It was a poor performance yesterday. We draw a line under it. The manager's got six weeks now with the players, the, the vast majority of players, um, to obviously couple of friendlies, a little bit of a break, come back, a couple more behind closed doors games, and then and get back to it. Let's figure out what's going wrong. Can we rectify it and move on? Obviously, Johnny's transfer window come up around the corner and, and hopefully get a couple of attackers in to, to improve things further, further up the pitch. Sounds easy, of course, but it's not that easy. But we've got to stay on board. It's not. It, it's not easy, Mike. But I don't think it's insurmountable either. You know, and I again, I I would just ask Evertonians to cast their minds back to this time last year, uh, and I didn't see at that point a way out. Certainly with Rafa Benitez at the helm, whereas at the moment I'm listening to you and I'm thinking actually I can I can see how this could turn around very quickly and very positively for us. And as Lee said. You know, the league's so tight. I think we're five points off ninth, Lee, if I'm right. I think another five points, we'd have been, I think you were saying earlier, we'd have been in ninth position. So it's a yeah. tight league. We're certainly nowhere near, in, in my opinion, as desperate as we were last season. And if we can get the right players in. And the other thing I'd have to say about Lampard and Thelwall is I've, I've probably got more confidence in them identifying who those right players are. And again, the other point that you've made there, Mike, hopefully the players won't, you know, that won't have got to them too much yesterday. I've got confidence that it won't on the basis that you've got people like Tarkovsky, you've got people like Cody, you've got uh, Garner Gay in that dressing room, experienced lads, but vocal lads as well. Cody was very quick, wasn't he, after the game to come out yesterday? He didn't condemn the fans. He said it's just not good enough for Everton Football Club. And I think that if you've got big personalities and characters in your club like that, you've got a chance and it won't necessarily impact on that, you know, mentality, which again, last season was just very, very weak, you know, right throughout that first part of the season, even towards in some of the games towards the end of the season, they looked as though they were beaten before the, the ball was kicked at times. And I do think that's changed as well. So far more positive for me, than the were this time last year. Um, and I just hope that we get something out of that Wolves game that then enables Lampard and co to, to get a second transfer window. And I think he will improve. And I think our, our position in the table will improve with it. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and by the way, if I get, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you guys are all the same as well. If I get another text from a red to say, why did you get rid of Rafa Benitez? Why did you give him time? <laughs> Right, I'm going to lose the plot. Like, you know, it feels like you have to spell things out to children. You know what I mean? Obviously, sometimes, obviously, the fishing for stuff is why I understand that. But, like, it was never going to work that. Never in a million years was it going to work. We lost, you know, we won one game and four team under him before he, he got dismissed. You know, and as I said before, Franks were extremely hard to try and, you know, bring, you know, fix a fractured fan, a fan base and, 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 you know, try and get across how much he cares. And I've said this before on a previous podcast, he made himself the best possible midfielder can be, Frank, through hard work and dedication. Obviously, talent, hard work and dedication. And he, and he was one of the best midfielders this country's created. Now, I'm not saying he's the next coming, coming of, you know, Carlo Ancelotti or Rigo Saki or anything like that. But, you know, we'll never know how good he is as a manager unless he goes through things like this, because those managers will have gone through things like this before they got to the very top. So, you know, hopefully... You know, in in a, in a year's time or wherever, we're talking. You know, thank God we got through that period. You know, look, look. look I'm not. And it's not. And it's not the best comparison. But you look at Arteta. He was nearly sacked last season, and, and now now Sky yeah. can't get enough of him saying he's the best manager since sliced bread. Do you know what I mean? So, 
you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's maybe at that level. We, you know, we'll never know. But the point I'm saying is that the, the principle's still the same. You know, we'll never know how good these young managers are until you, until they, you get them through periods like this. Now, you've said before on previous well, podcasts, Frank. You know, what I mean, Kendall would have got sacked for me in this day and age before he went on to do what no, he did in the eighties. You know yeah, I mean, he'd have been well out. He'd have been well out. But you know, they were after Brendan Rodgers a few weeks ago. You know, talk sports are the worst for it, aren't they? You know, they have a manager that we yeah. could go after. And, uh, you know, they were determined to get Rodgers out. I can't even remember. The, I think it was Tottenham they got beat by. And they weren't playing well. I've watched a few games for less than I thought they looked poor. But they came to Goodison Park, the most impressive performance I've seen from a away team this season. They looked brilliant. I know we, we didn't do ourselves any favours in terms of the formation we set up, as you guys were alluding to earlier. But you do have to give managers time. And, you know, the, the, the definition of madness isn't it is the same thing and thinking you're going to get different results um you know we've had more managers than the Tory party have had prime ministers in the last <laughs> yeah exactly mate uh, yeah, and, and... we just can't continue we can't continue with that roller coaster of sack a manager bring another one sack a manager bring another and think that's going to work absolute lunacy. Yeah, and, and Potter's the other one, by the way. The Dines the Dines are sat Graham Potter now as well, which is again a, a complete a complete farce. That is unbeaten yeah. in his first nine games, loses to his old team Brighton, then loses to City, which isn't a disgrace, then loses to Newcastle away, which isn't a disgrace, and then all of a sudden he what the, you know he's useless. We need to sack him. It, it's a, it, it, it dry, it's a scourge of modern football. This it really it drives me mad. Yeah. You know, it's almost like football following society, instant gratification. We need an instant gratification. If we don't get it, we sack, sack him. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's you know, stability is, is 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 proven to you know it's been proven with with the right people at the helm, and giving them time to build a team. I mean, Potter hasn't even had a window, and they're trying to sack him. Yeah, you know I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So it's, it's well, I thought the whole was the best. It kills last night. me. I'll, I'll... Yeah, on Talk Sports, I on the whole actually made the statement that said. When a team gets beat, it's never the players' fault, it's the manager's. He actually made that statement. And wow. he just sat there. Because there was never Tony on saying, you know, he, he wasn't 100% behind Lampard, but he was calling the players out. And I've gone the whole saying, well, you can't blame the players, it's the manager. And you just think, you know, where are you getting these pundits from? Just absolute nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Um, but for me, you know, I would definitely feel with Frank Lampard. Hope he gets the results against Wolves so that we don't do anything daft. And uh, and as I say, I can see us going on and, and and having a reasonable finish to the season. But again, you know, I have this conversation with some of my mates who obviously they're the, the, the same age as me, so they did enjoy some great times. But we haven't enjoyed that many great times as Everton Football Club. Uh, and certainly this century we haven't. So, you know, again, the, the, the expectation level just needs to be realistic. That's all I'd say. You know, we're not going to go off and storm the league and qualify for Europe and be winning cups left, right and centre at the moment. That's a long-term project and that's going to take time. And you're going to have to have patience with some individual, hopefully it's going to be Frank Lampard, to ever reach that objective. And I don't think the club has ever been at an ebb as low as when Lampard took over. That's the other thing we have to remind ourselves. Where he took over the club, I don't think I can remember a time when we were that low. I think we've had worse, we might have had worse playing squads, maybe, but I don't think the the toxicity around the club has ever been as bad as when Frank Lampard came in. It, it goes it goes hand in hand. This is, this is just a personal opinion for me. It goes hand in hand with social media's expansion because if you rewind sort of 10, 15 years ago, you don't have this kind of this kind of toxicity, in my opinion. Because everyone, you know, you, you look at what at what happened yesterday after the game, and it people just bouncing off each other, saying, saying silly things, and you know, that's what you see all the time. This 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 overreaction and this need to to share with the world. You know how you feel, and people always go to extremes with it. Don't they always take it to that next level? If you was, if you were 10, 15 years ago after a game, you might go, might be in a pub with your mates, 
uh, have a conversation about it, and then you look forward the next week to the next game. You, you don't really, really go into it, but because now it's spoken about so much on different platforms, but it's almost as if now you 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 drowned in it, and people feel the need that they've got to they've got to comment and they've got to say things which which gain a reaction because some people just want that that sort of like Lee said already sort of you know a, a little bit of um, they want people to to basically endorse what they say or they want people to to basically argue with them because it gets them some traction it gets them attention and that's what it all is that that's that, that's that's the the self gratification of the modern world that we live in which is 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 what we have to deal with so for me it, it, I tell you it, I tell you what it is Mike I tell you what it is it, it's bloody podcasts like this mate that's what it is oh mate they're absolute disgrace absolutely <laughs> got a lot to answer for these these podcasts to be honest with you um but yeah that's a conversation for another day I'm, I'm sure but listen let, let's wrap things up there you know the, the the hope is obviously now six weeks off we're all with Frank Lampard I fully expect Frank Lampard to, to be in the dugouts for the Wolves game. I hope he's in the dugout for the Wolves game. And Farhad Machine doesn't get switchy fingers over the next six weeks. Let's, you know, let's let's enjoy a little bit of time off. Let's hope the players can get, you know, give our, our Australian supporters something to cheer when they get over there. Great for them to see Everton in the flesh, I'm sure. Um, but a good few weeks off now. The World Cup coming up as well. Um, and all I have to say really is a bit of a thank you from us because because of, of you listening, we're, we're able to support the Everton the Community Veterans Hub once again this Christmas more, you know, to a bigger extent than we've ever done before, which is fantastic. And it only happens because people listen to the show. So we're grateful for that. We look forward to, to getting together with the veterans for the, for their Christmas meal before Christmas. Should be a fantastic event. Thanks for listening. We will be back, hopefully, a couple of times over the next six weeks. A couple of B-sides in the work. So hopefully we will be we'll be back then. Enjoy the time away from Everton. Um, calm yourselves down a little bit. Have a little bit of time off. Don't think about Everton. Um, and we will catch you when we are back. Post-Wolves, we'll catch you then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three Blues. Three opinions, one Everton podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.